You're listening to an audio sermon from Hope Bible Church in Oakville, Ontario. For more information, please visit our website at hopeoakville.ca. Week number three here in our series, No Turning Back. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. I want to put our theme verse up on the screen for you just to remind you where we are. Luke, 9's, Luke 9, verse 62. Jesus said to him, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Excited to get to that verse eventually, Lord willing, through our series. That is where we're getting this from. Putting our hand to the plow. By God's grace, we will not look back. But here's the question that we are both asking and answering during this series. It's what kind of person will not turn back? Who is the person that will persevere even as the cost intensifies? Who is the person who is fit for the kingdom of God? It's a question we're both asking and answering. We sought to begin to answer that question. Here's a recap of where we've been throughout this series. Again, I want to get us all on the same page. I want to remind us where we've been. We forget so easily. Who's the person that will not turn back? Character. Character is everything. The character of blessed are the poor. Blessed are those who are hungry. Blessed are those who weep. Blessed are those who are persecuted. The character of those that will last and not turn back, it is incredibly important and essential. Last week, those who will last are those who will feed on the word of God. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. You fail to feed on God's word, you will fail. You fail to feed on God's word, you will fail. When you feed on God's word and love God in his word and pursue Christ, you cannot fail. And then today this. Biblical greatness. Those who travel on the path of true biblical greatness, they will find themselves finishing well. Biblical, true, Christ-centered greatness. That is one of the keys to not turning back. So many spend their lives trying to be great, don't they? So many do whatever it takes to achieve their definition of greatness. Many watching, listening right now, your greatest desire, let's be honest, is greatness. But here's a question. What if your definition of greatness is different or at odds with Jesus' definition of greatness? What if the greatness that you've been taught actually closes the door on the kingdom of God? What if the greatness that you're pursuing actually puts you in last place in the kingdom of God? What if your definition of greatness actually repels God's blessing and repels God's favor? Wouldn't you want to know? I would. We do today. Today then is this, the path of true greatness. The path of true greatness. It is the exact opposite to our world, but it's the greatness that guarantees the very blessing of God. Matthew 20, 
verse 20 says, Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came up to Jesus with her sons, James and John, of course, and kneeling before him, she asked him for something. And he said to her, What do you want? She said to him, Say that these two sons of mine are to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your kingdom. Jesus answered, You don't know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I am to drink? They, James and John, now said to him, We are able. He said to them, You will drink my cup, but to sit at my right hand and my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared by my Father. Point number one is this. We see in our text, on the path to true greatness, we see greatness desired. Greatness, we find here, is desired very clearly. So here we have James and John, their mother, Salome, requesting from Jesus the highest thrones of honor. This is a fascinating move. They are seeking to reserve their seats of greatness at either side of Jesus in his eternal kingdom. Now before we go any further, let's get some context. Verses 17 to 19. I want you to look at verses 17 to 19. Notice here that Jesus just predicted his suffering and death. Jesus just spoke of his cross. James and John immediately want to speak of their crowns. Just goes to show how utterly disconnected we can be from the values and the path of Christ, isn't it? Doesn't it? Jesus says, I'm about to suffer. I'm about to be flogged. I'm about to be crucified. And James and John respond, yeah, 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 let's talk about our crowns. It's incredible at times how oblivious we can be to the path and plan of God. Notice it's the selfishness and pride of James and John that blinds them to the very will of God. Oh, how selfishness blinds you and I to the will of God. In verse 20, we read that James and John's mother comes and, look at that, kneels before Jesus. What an act of physical, again, request and physical demonstration of how serious this is to her. She kneels down before Jesus and asks him to favor her sons. It's not hard to read into this as being a clear display of nepotism on the mother's part. Commentators agree with that insight as well. In my observations, nepotism has hurt kids far more than it has ever helped them. Think for a second, parents. Think right now. In all the examples I've seen, nepotism has far more hurt kids than it has actually helped them. Think, parents. Think right now. Does greatness for our children match the definition of Jesus as he defines greatness? 
Do the greatness that we desire for our children, does it match what Jesus determines as greatness for our children? So often it's not even close. So often it's worlds apart. Parents obsess over privilege for their kids, anything to get their kids ahead. And Jesus says, the greatest among you would be him or her who serves and is a slave. That's greatness. Imagine if parents took that angle with their kids. But that's the whole point of today, isn't it? Changing our perspective from the world, from the world to the word of God, Jesus Christ. Jesus cuts right through this answer and request. He says, you don't know what you're talking about. You don't know what you're asking. Paraphrasing Jesus, he says, there is no throne or crown granted by Jesus apart from suffering. That is replete through scripture. There's no crown apart from suffering. There's no reward given apart from cost. But James and John, they wanted the glory without the pain. They wanted the crown without the cross. And so do we. And that's why not all will finish well. Isn't it fascinating that James would be the first of the 12 disciples to be martyred? That John would be exiled to Patmos in seeming unending harsh conditions for the remainder of his life. James and John were caught up in the power, in the position, in the perceived prestige. Clearly here they are following the ways of the world, even though they were talking to the word. They were talking to the word of God himself, yet so caught up in the ways of the world. Even more serious, they were following the ways of Satan. The ways of Satan always involve pride and posturing for position and the desiring for thrones. That's how Satan ended up where he was in the first place. His desire to be God himself and to assume the throne of God. It's the first sin in the Bible in the Garden of Eden. Did God really say, God's afraid of you becoming like him? Pride, posturing, position, and thrones, satanic. God help us. It's so interesting in verse 23. Jesus says, I can guarantee you this, you will drink, you will drink my cup. Meaning you will indeed suffer. But it's so interesting, he says, but the, the throne part, it's not up to me. The throne part, my father will decide that in the future. But I can promise you suffering, I can promise you that, yes. Wow. So how massive is this? Greatness is desired, suffering is promised. Why? Why? Ready? Because suffering is the path to true greatness. There's no exceptions. Suffering is the path to true greatness. I mean, write that down. You're going to have to remind yourself again and again and again. And that's why God's word says it again and again and again. Let's just take a moment right now to look at worldly greatness desired 
by James and John. Here is greatness by our world. Hear how it's defined. Worldly greatness is power and control. Worldly greatness is the more ambition based on myself. Worldly greatness is the position I hold, the prestige that goes along with that position, the life that I live, the luxury that I have, the recognition, the amount of followers, the the praise I get, the fame, the celebrity. Worldly greatness is how much comfort I can amass, how easy my life can be, how many people can serve me. Worldly greatness is the sign that I am self-sovereign. I am fully in control and sovereign over the direction of my life. That's how great I am. This is, this is how a world defines greatness. Let me ask you as we go through that, and I don't want to rush it, which one brings conviction? Which ones bring conviction to you right now? Oh Lord, forgive us for allowing the world and Satan to define greatness for us as those who claim to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. God, forgive us. I pray the Holy Spirit will bring about significant and serious repentance today. Number one, we see greatness desired. Number two, now we see this, greatness envied. Greatness envied. Look at, look at verse 24 now. This is, this is fascinating. And when the ten, the other ten disciples, when they heard it, they were indignant at the two brothers. But Jesus called to them and said, now, notice when they heard it. So it wasn't long before the other disciples caught wind of what James and John requested. The news had spread, the rumors had been validated, and the anger and the jealousy was incited. Verse 24 tells us the other ten were indignant. Now please understand, this was not pious, righteous anger. No, this was jealous anger leading to envy, rooted in envy. Commentator R.T. France, he said this, The indignation was that of jealousy, not of holy humility. The ten are no more free of ambition than the two brothers. All the wickedness of the human heart. So what we see here is that the other ten disciples are filled with jealousy. Why? That the other two brothers asked Jesus before they could. The other ten are filled with envy and anger and jealousy because they're being beaten that James and John are ahead of them in the race for greatness. That's why they're so upset. Because they got to Jesus first to ask him. I've always found it so interesting that in Mark's gospel, it says that Pilate, quote, perceived it was out of envy that the chief priest delivered Jesus up to be crucified. Think about that. They hated Christ and killed Christ ultimately because they were envious of Christ. They wanted his greatness. Where in our lives is envy tempting us to hate? Envy of others' perceived greatness. Where in our lives is envy tempting us 
towards hate. Just while we're here, let's get a definition of envy. This is central to what's happening within our text. Envy is to want what belongs to someone else. Look at that. Envy is to want what belongs to someone else. Here's a more expanded definition. Envy is a resentful, dissatisfied longing for another's possessions, position, fortune, achievements, or success. Let's leave that for a second. Read that. Let that sink in. This was the sin of the disciples, all of them, in our text. That's why Jesus says that what comes out of the man's heart, including envy, is so disastrous and so dangerous. You see, this is the fear the disciples were feeling You're about to get something that I want. I want what you're about to get. I want what you're asking for. Therefore, I'm envious. Therefore, it leads to sinful anger. Therefore, it leads to division, indignation. You're seeking the greatness that I deserve. That's what they're saying. I deserve that greatness that you're asking from Jesus. Oh, the human heart is so wicked, isn't it? That is why two of the most prominent passages on the Holy Spirit in the New Testament deal with this issue. The issue of envy and relational jealousy. Ephesians 4 verse 30 commands, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. The very next verse, the very next verse is, let all bitterness and wrath and anger, and clamor, and slander be put away from you. Meaning, translation, you want to grieve the Holy Spirit? Then allow those things to fill your heart. You want to lose the power of God in your life? You want to grieve the Holy Spirit? You want to put the Holy Spirit in a closet in your temple that he can't be heard, that he can't be felt? You want to lose God's God's power? Then resent others. Envy others. Be jealous of others. You're guaranteed to lose the power of God. Then we have Galatians 5, massive passage on the Holy Spirit and the fruit of the Holy Spirit listed in the works of the flesh in this text. On the screen for you, take a look at this. Notice the works of the flesh. Notice what's listed. Enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, Envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warned you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Look at how many of those listed are relationally filled with pride. Then I want you to see the two passages that bookend the fruit of the Spirit passage. Galatians chapter 5, but if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. 
And then on the back end of the fruit of the Spirit passage, Galatians 5, verse 25 and 26, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. What's the best way to not live by the Spirit and not keep in step with the Spirit? Let us not become conceited. If we want to ruin the Spirit's work in our lives, then become conceited, provoke one another, and envy one another. That will shut down the Holy Spirit in your life. The impact of sin and envy and jealousy and the working of the Holy Spirit through our lives. I'm telling you, those who will be left behind will be those who are obsessed with their own greatness. It's interesting, you come back to the Gospels and in Mark chapter 9, the disciples are found to be arguing over who is the greatest. Jesus isn't quite there yet. They're arguing amongst themselves who is the greatest. Isn't it amazing how much the Bible gives us detail in these things? They're arguing who's the greatest. Jesus comes up and they all fall silent and Jesus says, what are you talking about? No one says anything. Why do they all fall silent? It's because they're all morons and they know it. And so are we. You see, what the disciples would eventually learn, and we must learn as well, this is so important right now, church, what the disciples would eventually learn is the very act of seeking greatness for self or envying greatness was actually putting them in last place in the kingdom. Think about that for a second. It takes faith to believe it and the Holy Spirit to convince us of it. Every time we seek greatness for ourselves or envy greatness in others, it doesn't feel like it, but we're actually putting ourselves in the opposite position we want to be in. We are putting ourselves last in the lineup for the kingdom of God, as Jesus will confirm in just a couple of verses. Question, where in our lives right now are we grieving the Holy Spirit and moving ourselves towards last place in the kingdom? But you see, church, all of this changes now when we start to define greatness according to Jesus. Everything changes when we start to understand how Jesus defines greatness in the blessing and the joy and the freedom that is found in obedience to him. So we see greatness desired, greatness envy, but finally this, true greatness now defined. True greatness defined. Verse 25, but Jesus called them to him and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. It shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Notice how important this moment is. Jesus calls them together and he says to them, listen, it's time for the coach to set the players straight. It's time for the professor to correct his pupils. The first thing Jesus does, he plainly rebukes the world's version of greatness. 
Jesus explains here that the world defines greatness in terms of authority and power and influence and fame and control. But Jesus says as clear as day, it shall not be so among you. Rather, greatness in the kingdom is the exact opposite of the world. Those who are great are those who, are, who serve. So right away we're learning here, when we lust for power, we reject Jesus' true greatness. When we seek selfish ambition, we are rejecting the path of true greatness that God blesses. When we posture ourselves to secure status, we are rejecting the perfect wisdom of Jesus in regards to true greatness. Whenever we do those things, we are rejecting the plan and path of Jesus Christ towards true greatness. So right now, throughout this message, where in our lives is the Holy Spirit right now saying, stop it. Stop it. Where is the Holy Spirit saying that to you right now? Stop seeking your own version of greatness. We seek our own greatness when we always seem to turn the conversation toward ourselves and never stop talking. We seek our own greatness when we tear down another person to others to increase personal status before others. When we will not admit that others are right because then we admit we don't know everything. When we must be recognized for our achievements or otherwise we sulk and pout. When we are not submissive or we are insubordinate because we want to be in power. When we obsessively watch our how many likes we receive on social media. It's all in the pursuit of personal greatness. When our knowledge puffs us up and we feel superior to all others. When my position on an issue immediately means everyone who disagrees with me is stupid. When I'm more passionate about my politics than the person of Jesus Christ. It's about my own greatness. When I'm un unable to rejoice in the success of others. When I wish ill will against my enemies. When I complain and grumble about my circumstances. When I constantly post photos of myself everywhere. When I resist correction in my life. When I push others out of the way so I can have the greater seat at the table. When I secretly resent others because they are not serving me. Because I want to be great. When I simply believe that I deserve more, better, and easier. It's because I'm pursuing personal greatness. I just recently saw an advertisement that starts off as some, some model, model person, woman. She says, I deserve more. Really? Deserve more what? More judgment? More death? That's the only thing we deserve. I deserve more. You deserve more what? I deserve more wrath of God is what I deserve. I deserve more. Give me a break, man. Our world is just a joke. A bunch of satanic lies floating all over the place. I deserve more. 
I deserve more punishment is what I deserve. I deserve more. The human heart is so wicked. We've been given grace in Jesus Christ. We've given everything we could ever imagine. I deserve more. Shut up, Satan, and shut up, self. I don't deserve anything. I've been given everything in Jesus Christ. What happens now is Jesus has rebuked the world's ways, and now Jesus starts to define true greatness. Greatness is found in the one who serves. Greatness is seen in the one who will be first because they are willing to be a slave, the text says. Isn't that so fitting? Mother's Day weekend, that video we saw, I loved it, that video. It's funny because it's true. All the ways moms serve. You think of God's design for women, mothers, mother types, and really it's the design of God and the call to humble themselves and serve others for the glory of Jesus Christ. And the world looks at that and scoffs. Christ looks at that and says, I'm glorified in it. There's no greater design. Greatness is in serving. Moms, you take delight in that right now. You, you see the delight of God in your life and heart. The more we serve, the greater we become. And one day we will see it. It'll all come true. It'll all be seen for what it is. And the lowest of the low and those who have humbled themselves and did not complain and just sought to serve and serve and serve and serve. And you will be first in line and the rest of us will be far behind. That's true. I speak truth today. Jesus speaks truth today. True greatness will be those who follow in the example of Jesus. Which is what? You can see it there in that verse who gives his life as a ransom for many. He gives his life for the blessing of others. That's greatness. God help us. We're so backwards all the time. You serve me, worldly greatness. I serve you, true greatness. The profundity of this passage, those who are great will be those who are strengthened, Those who are given joy, those who will be blessed by God, those who will finish well, are those who choose to serve, are those who are willing to be servants and slaves for Jesus Christ. The very heart of the gospel, the very heart of the life of Jesus Christ, giving his life for the blessing of many, sacrificing himself on the cross that we might be saved. This is greatness in the eyes of God. Let's put our greatness chart up again just so you can see here worldly versus true greatness. Instead of power and control, now it's humility. Self-sacrifice. Instead of selfish ambition, it's submission to God. Whatever you want, God. Whatever you want, you know best. I submit everything to you. Instead of position and prestige, now it's I just want to be a servant. This is greatness. To be a servant of Christ is greatness. Instead of recognition, I'll be a slave. Greatness is to to be a slave. Instead of comfort, it's the willingness to die and suffer. 
This is greatness. We're so bad at this. We so want this. We're set up for this every day. This is greatness. Instead of self-sovereignty, it's entire dependence on the sovereignty of God. Not my will, but yours be done. That's greatness. True greatness. True greatness. I want to end our time by bringing it home. I have several principles of application and questions regarding true greatness. I wrote down eight of them. Take a couple of minutes here. I don't want to go quickly. I want God to use this. I pray you're sitting up straight at home. I pray that you're, I just, I think the Lord will do what he wants to do and the Lord has got your attention, I pray. Question number one to consider from this message. Which aspect of worldly greatness am I most susceptible to right now? Which lie concerning greatness do I need to replace with truth today? Which aspect of worldly greatness am I most susceptible to? Think about that. Where am I so vulnerable to the attack of Satan? Where is my flesh longing to go? That would be at odds with the definition of Jesus. Second question. Whom do I need to stop envying or competing with so that true greatness can grow in my life? Whom do I need to stop envying or competing with? Where has envy of someone else grieved the Holy Spirit in your life? God, search our hearts, I pray. Again, I don't want to rush these. Question three. Is my love of comfort hindering true greatness in my life? Maybe better we can ask this, not is, or should be, where is my love of comfort leading me away from God's will? See, if all we do is want to secure comfort, then for sure we are avoiding the path of true greatness. It's why the road is narrow and hard and few find it. Question four. Am I resisting or fearful of suffering? If so, I might be resisting true greatness. This is so important. The massive call to endure suffering in the New Testament. Even on that question right there, am I even on the same page of true greatness and Jesus Christ? I mean, ask yourself that honestly. Am I remotely close to the path of true greatness that involves suffering? Or am I so far away from that, I'm nowhere near him? Question five. God has sovereignly placed you where you are. Pursue true greatness here and now. God does not make mistakes. When we complain about our circumstances, at its root we are complaining against the sovereignty of God and declaring our lack of contentment. Question six, 
What desired power or position can I surrender to God right now and to his timing? Do I truly believe that the last shall be first? Do I truly believe the humble shall be exalted? If so, then here's our chance to live it. Question seven. Who is God God calling you to specifically serve right now? Maybe today. Instead of trying to undermine someone else or fight against someone else or rival against someone else, imagine instead of being jealous of that person, you actually chose to love that person in response to the love of Christ. Wow, what a difference that would make. Who is God calling you to specifically serve right now? Last question. Do I truly believe that to be a slave is to be first? Do I truly believe that to be a slave is to be first? How can I live that out today? Oh, the glory in serving. Every time we submit to servanthood, to being a slave for Christ, we're following in the example of Christ. Oh, for the path of true greatness. This will be one of the greatest difference makers in the last days. Those who believe in the definition of Jesus Christ and the true path of true greatness. Lord, help us. Lord, help us. You know, I'll just end with this church. The disciples didn't get it in Matthew 20. But they would. They would get it. And they would be used to change the world. We may not get it today. But by God's grace and by the power of the Holy Spirit and the brokenness over our sin, we can get it. We can get it. It's not too late. And we can be used to change the world too. God help us. Amen, church? God help us. Pray with me, would you? Father, this is, this is big stuff right here. This is, this is not for the faint of heart. We know, the Holy Spirit has told us today, we know every person listening for Jesus Christ, they know there's nothing to argue here today. We all know it's right. We all know it's pure. We all know it's power. We all know it's the way to follow Christ. And we all know we need to die to ourselves more. We all know, Lord, we have at times to find greatness by the world and Satan. And we all know that today is the day we can change that by God's grace. We call to you. We ask you to forgive our sins. Bring repentance in our lives and hearts. Create brokenness. I pray against excuses, rationalizations. I pray against blaming other people. I just pray we would not look around. I pray we just look within. Change me. Oh God. Search my heart. Change me. For that's where the joy will be known and lived. That's where the freedom will be felt and experienced. We say to ourselves, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a a steadfast spirit within me. Wash me, I will be whiter than snow. Yes, Lord, you are working.
across so many homes right now. May you be glorified through our lives. Help us to be men, women, and children who finish well, who put our hand to the plow and don't look back. Change lives today for you, I pray, as we seek to follow Jesus Christ. In his name, amen.